no one has an ex explanation yet for me from what I call the don't worry, be happy crowd on Wall Street is how do we get out of this? Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics and excited because today I have new guest to the show, although someone that I know a lot of the people at home watching are very familiar with because fortunately I'm joined by Peter Grandich, who is longtime market veteran, has seen a lot of these cycles, a historian of sorts, and going to help us unravel some of the things that are going on in today's economy. We're going to be digging into gold and silver, as well as the mining stocks, and see if we can put that in perspective where things currently stand with the mining stocks and what has been one of the more challenging mining stock environments that I think many of us have seen in our lifetimes. And fortunately, to dig into all that, Peter, I appreciate you joining me today. And before we get started, just how are you doing, my friend? Uh, outside of the mining stocks, very good, Chris. Well, I, work. I hear you. And I think that's the sentiments of a lot of gold and silver investors where, one hand, at least in terms of the underlying metals, gold doing pretty well, especially given that we're still with the higher interest rates, now seeing longer term interest rates higher. Silver uh, perhaps has some catching up to do. Although before we hop on over and get into the gold and silver space, something I was reading on your website before we started recording, you mentioned that one of the things that you talk to a lot of your clients about is the fallacies of the traditional investment portfolio and some of the mantras that we hear from Washington and Wall Street. And I thought maybe that'd be a good place to start because obviously we're reading Bidenomics telling us that everything in the economy is great. Things have never been better. I think a lot of us are seeing a bit of a different picture. So maybe we could start there and you could help people understand the difference between a lot of what we're told and what's going on and what they should be aware of. Well, first of all, uh, those of us in my 40th year now that tried to make a living looking into a crystal ball, the only thing we became experts on is how to learn to eat a lot of broken glass. So uh, I don't know the future. I only think after 40 years, Chris, I can make a decent educated guess. And with that, I learned some of the things the hard way that you mentioned. First of all, the only way I still have a livelihood other than my own investments is through a planning group that I've been associated with for 25 years, up until a few years ago, working a lot with professional athletes. But what happened in professional sports with wokeism and politics, I left that. Uh, I've learned that cash flow is far more important than chasing net worth. Yet most financial planning done, at least in the U.S., is based on trying to find a product that hopefully performed in the past and do equally or better take what you have and hopefully it reaches that dollar value whether it's retirement or college education or so forth and then in the disclaimer their coverage is there because in a little print it'll say past performance is not certainty of future results so we we deal with cash flow and maximizing cash flow before any type of risk-oriented money is put to work. Separate from that, and putting on a different hat, I've been involved first from the money management side, then from corporate communication side, and now really as an individual investor with a little bit of interest because I have a blog sponsorship from some junior mining companies, 
I've been involved in the metals and mining. And and some of the things, one lesson I think is real important, and it, uh, you've been around, so you'll remember this, some that only been around the last few years. There used to be an old saying in the, in the investment period, owning mining shares is just like owning the metals. Well, if you want to learn a lesson that that's not true, the recent actions has proven that because just a year or so ago, gold was 1650. You know, as we speak, it's 1950. So that's not a bad gain for a year. But I can tell you in the last year what has happened to most gold mining stocks. They went down and they went down hard. So finally, you can put to rest. There is a major difference between owning physical bullion and owning mining shares. And that was not how it was looked at by the investment community, the hard asset newsletter writers and all. Until this, now that has definitely been shown to be a, to be the case. I think the other thing that we've learned, and you didn't have to be in hard assets to know this, I think the average American's discovering this is, you really can't trust governments or government statistics. I've been on this big case for well over a year, and I'm not alone in it, that the Bureau of Labor Statistics should drop the L in their name and just call themselves BS, because the numbers that come out of the government now are in any way, shape, or form realistic and such fraudulent that for 13 straight months they would put out an employment number only to adjust it lower a month later but they already got the kick out of the can they wanted so i think that's an important thing to take into account and one other thing i think is really different now than when you and i were talking before we started about markets 30 or 40 years ago this stock market is nothing like the market when I started, Chris. We were talking about the New York Stock Exchange, the American Stock Exchange. I remember the first time the New York Stock Exchange traded 100 million shares. Now some stocks trade 100 million shares in a day. But back then, 90% of the trading was the public. And the public was in the stock market because they wanted to be part owners of businesses. And that's where they went to buy and sell those part ownerships. It's almost non-existent now. First of all, over half the money in the U.S. stock market is in what we call non-active managed accounts, meaning that those funds or ETFs or whatever they may own are just trying to track an index or an indice and will only go long or short depending on how that indice moves. The other half, about 80% of that, is some sort of computer-driven program. It may just be an algorithm on news stories, words and news stories, or maybe very sophisticated involving options, futures, stocks, and a whole bunch of programs. Maybe 10 to 20% tops of the entire stock market is still where people are going to buy and sell part ownerships of businesses. And I think that's very critical for us older people with no hair or gray hair who are used to that old market to understand that doesn't really exist anymore. And if it does, it doesn't have the influence that it once had. And if you keep approaching it or using even technical analysis that worked 30 or 40 years ago, you're really hindering yourself, not helping yourself. Yeah, that's well said, because obviously things have changed quite a bit from what we grew up uh, in. Uh, I guess you have a few more years than I do on that one, although especially since the era of the Greenspan put, where it's almost as if it's a foreign thought to imagine that the stock market could go down without central banks intervening, adding more liquidity. Although, given that we are where we are, what are some of the things and options that you're looking at in terms of cash flow aside from 
what often becomes a bit more speculation in the stock market. What what are some of the basic options that people still have at this point in in terms of a cash flow type investment? So Chris, I just do it for this second. I try to separate my spiritual life from the secular work that I do, but I'm going to put my spiritual hat just on for one second sure. because of what transpired in my life and battling of making money and losing money, going from happiness to despair. Uh, I've learned a couple of things. One is for me, and, and it, it, the undertone to my planning business, less is more. We lived in a society where our parents and grandparents lived in much smaller dwellings. They didn't have the big cars or the big uh, loans out. There was no such thing as public storage, or at least not used in this, the way that it is now for people to store their stuff that they can't keep in their four or 5,000 square foot home. When our parents lived in the thousand square foot homes, my parents didn't have credit cards. Kids now today wouldn't know what to do without a credit card. But less is more is an attitude that, that I have taken. And unfortunately, our government has done the opposite. Our government has gone into just an outright spend to the moon type of attitude without any controls or caring or really understanding what the impacts are. And I don't think the average American citizen does. Now, I know people gold and silver oriented are because they focus on that. It's one of the reasons they're driven to own that because of the huge debt that we owe, the deficit we have. But the average American yet has not come to that understanding. I sit with them all the time and I find still seven or eight out of 10 of them are living at least one lifestyle above what their finances support. And everybody says, how do they do that? I said, well, just look at last month's personal income and spending numbers. Personal spending was up seven tenths of 1%. Income was up just three tenths of 1%. Hello, if you spend $700 and you only made $300, where'd you get the other $400? So one of the things that has become is we've become so indebted as a nation, national debt, corporate debt, individual debt. And we're not alone in that. Much of the Western world is in, in, in that position. And no one has an ex explanation yet for me from what I call the don't worry, be happy crowd on Wall Street is how do we get out of this? How do you now take $33 trillion, put a 5% interest rate on it, talk to this Congressional Budget Office, which is really the last bastion of anything that's bipartisanship left in our government, who now says we're going to be at $50 trillion in eight years. What do we do with a, just a 5% interest? That's $2.5 trillion in interest expense when the best year ever was last year when we took in a little over $5 trillion as a country. This is all within now uh, most people that are going to be listening to this, Chris, lifespan. We're all going to be facing this. And I don't have a way to explain it. I don't. I don't know from a typical cash flow experience how do we generate enough discretionary income when 65 percent of all americans are working paycheck to paycheck so there's going to eventually be someday chris so always people ask me well then mr granish what's the answer sometime in the future i don't know when i may be here i may be gone we will have to go through an austerity period of decades to have any reasonable chance to put our financial house back in order in the United States. And I don't think most Americans are prepared for that or want that. And we now, and I'll just close with this, Chris, sorry for rambling, but we have pol politicians now 
who not only do either party want to be in a room with each other, but there's people within their own party that don't want to be in the room with each other. And they're going to be the people called upon to fix this. So uh, it's very hard for me to come up with a conceivable, legitimate, bullish scenario for the future. I don't, I, you know, I don't sell gold. I don't really, like I said, I, if people think I do all this for a couple of companies that spend a few dollars to sponsor my blog, that's their viewpoint. But I can tell you this, never in my 40 years have I seen more risk going forward than I do right now. Yeah, I know what you mean. And interesting, you mentioned in there the credit card debt and we're recording on Tuesday earlier. I saw that we just spiked to a third quarter in the third quarter to record 1.08 trillion on the credit card debt. And you also mentioned, obviously, the national debt, which is soaring. And I, I do wonder how it goes for those guys in the CBO. I mean, they they actually seem to present a more realistic picture. I wonder if the politicians are trying to just push them off to the side a little bit. Although when you mentioned that it would require a period of austerity, something that I've heard and been thinking about recently uh, is that even if the government cuts spending at this point, I mean, we're, in my opinion, already heading towards a recession, yet if they actually balance the books, I mean, you would think that the, the hit in tax revenue and the recessionary impact could well send the deficits and debt loads even higher. So makes me wonder if we're not past the point of no return. I don't know if they're, I mean, it's a little scary when even cutting spending becomes a problem. And obviously in the gold and silver community, these, these issues are things that we've talked about for a long time. Now that it seems as if we're approaching this, especially with that interest expense really shooting up with the higher rates, what what do you think actually is the ultimate outcome of this is do you think we face a default on the treasury or once you have a failed auction or what how does this actually play out mechanically do you think well i think you said something very you said a lot of things but quite important quite frankly but you made an important point we've talked about this a long time because some of us foresaw this when the number was even lower but we knew the direction was headed in but now it's come to the point where it is completely out of control and it is point to a uh, point of a failed return there was an old movie i tell people about failsafe and they should watch it and it gets to a point where they can't talk to the guy back and he ends up dropping a nuclear bomb on moscow and we drop it on the organ but it gives you your point to say that there gets a point where you can't turn back and we we passed that that that's we're going to have some sort of major beyond crisis that anything depression whatever didn't compare to how we choose to get out of it is a few ways i say it'll be probably a combination of all of it one of the things i think that's going to push us over the line and i've been talking about it before it became main news and still most people are Wall Street or what I call the don't want to be happy crowd scoff at it and that's what's happening with the brick nations and why people Chris don't shouldn't not take it serious is you have to understand that up until 10 or 15 years ago America dominated the world in many ways including in trade in fiscal uh, handling and dealings you know when I started in the business we were the world's largest creditor nation Hey, when I started in the business, there was less than a billion dollars, a trillion dollars in long-term debt. But the bottom line is, this is a serious movement. 
it's real, it's growing, and most recently had vaulted up several levels of uh, concerns I would have by the Saudis uh, offering to join it and also making it known that they'd be willing to trade in oil outside of the dollar. Now, we can go into a long discussion about that, but younger people need to know that there was a time that we basically made an understanding with that country that we'll give you protection as long as you price things in dollar and favor us with your oil. And that was after the, uh, the oil embargo in the 70s. The bottom line is when Biden last went over there and basically pedoed the, the people in charge, uh, that's when I think that and the combination of China showing up at their door and, and, and coming with sweets and flowers, whatever else it took, uh, that was the dramatic change for the, for the BRIC movement. And now we're going to see that accelerate. And once the U.S. is recognized is not the dominance on world trade and it's being shut out or it's being limited, and there's an alternative. Now, I'm not looking for them to re announce a new world reserve currency. But I do believe they're going to come up with a way that they can trade among themselves without using the U.S. dollar. And that's significant in itself because once they don't need the U.S. dollar, those dollars still exist, Chris. And I'm sure you've had people on there, and I'm sure this is something you covered. But most people don't understand this in the regular investment world. Those dollars got to come back home. And when you have too many dollars chasing too few products, that's inflationary. So my argument is whatever happens will happen in a very strong inflationary process, not something where everybody's down to eating apples and a depression so we can, and, you know, that it's going to be done in, a, in an inflationary environment. And uh, that's why all this talk of, you know, inflation's behind us, so we're going to be back at 2%, and the Fed's going to be back to putting the pedal to the metal. I think we're past that. I, I, I think that's one of the reasons rates kept going. Remember, people, just look back early in the year what those experts on those Tau TV networks were saying. When the long bond hit 4%, oh, this is a gift. You know, inflation's going to go back down and so forth. Now they say, oh, 5% is the top. Why I think we got here and why I still think rates can go higher even if the economy slows because it's coming much more challenging to be a borrower now versus the creditor. And the United States is the borrower. And so uh, I don't see interest rates going substantially lower again. And without going lower, that doesn't mean I see them going up higher. They're just not going to go lower. And without that mechanism and all this grooming that investment advisors who came to work in the last 20 years just knew that the Fed always saves you and boy we always bail ourselves out I think once that recognition comes that rates aren't going to go a lot lower the any talk of a big big rally in equities and back to new highs is going to dissipate and disappear and the stock market's going to go into a more of a trading range type of thing and that may not sound too bad, except most people I know that I still see Chris in the planning business are still hopeful for 10 plus percent returns so they can keep living a lifestyle that they've grown accustomed to. And once they see they can't, then there's a big problem, especially those that are already retired. And I'm going to add one more thing, and I promise to shut up, Chris. And this is a key point. This is a key point. It's one of the most important points. I happen to live in a 55 over community. I'm 67 myself. More Americans now are afraid of running out of money than they are dying. That's how concerning it's become to both the people who are retired 
or who want to retire, including those 65% that are working paycheck to paycheck and are never going to know retirement. And by the way, start adding 7 to 10 to 15 million people who are coming into the country. I'm not here to argue the immigration, but they're here and they don't have anything. They came here with just the shirts on the back and all, okay? And they're going to be fitting into that group that eventually is going to want to retire and all and not have anything. So my biggest problem, fiscal. Second biggest problem, retirement, because so many people are going to be impacted by it. And more and more people are getting in a wagon and want to be pulled. And those of us who are left pulling the wagon are going to get to the point where I'm tired of pulling too. It's well said, and uh, I think that's something that you point out is rightfully concerning people because especially if we go into a recession and then, or worse, given some of these factors that you're mentioning, people are needing to work just to continue living. Uh, I think that's what concerns a lot of people. And I've, I've wondered from the time when I got into this whole gold and silver circuit back in 2009, where you mentioned you can go further back when the debts started to look like they might not be repaid anytime in our lifetime. If somehow we're looking at some sort of restructuring, obviously we've heard uh, a couple other countries mentioned their gold revaluation accounts and now you have concerns in the banking system so you, you start adding all these things up which is what i think has brought a lot of us into gold and silver um so perhaps a good good time to turn over to the gold and silver side where seeing gold come off from that two thousand dollar level a little bit lower again as we record on tuesday i'll pull that chart up here in a second but Silver is still floating around $23. What do you think uh, is going to take for the next move up in the gold and silver prices? Gold continues to flirt with 2000 has gotten over there a couple of times. And uh, interesting that even in the face of these interest rate hikes, we've seen it over 2000 But perhaps in the next year or so, what are you expecting out of the metals? Well, let me quickly jump on something you just said, which is critical, because if you go back to last year when it was 1650 and the many, many gold bears or what I call weak knees bulls. And these are guys and gals that switch from bullish to bearish, no matter which $50 way the gold went. They were all saying, well, gold's trapped. The interest rates are going higher. And with interest rates going higher, that's bad for gold. Well, gold <laughs> should go from 1650 to 2000 with interest rates doubling. So I think that argument is 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 not a worthy worthy argument uh, to have, and I don't have that fear. I'm still not in the camp that thinks we peaked in interest rates. I still think we will get above five percent. Maybe not be to next uh, year, whether there's a recession or not. But I do think another important thing about gold is this: we learned now, for those that watch it, like you and I, that there's a paper market. And then there's a physical market. And what I always find interesting, and the, the good news in all of this, well, let's go back 20 years. I used to argue with a certain guy that used to be the spokesperson for a certain website. And we peer at the shows, and we used to call him Tokyo Rose was his nickname because he was always telling us about the end, you know, gold is going down. And we couldn't understand. He's working for a website that sells gold, and he's always bearish. Anyway, he called us tinfoil hats and all us guys, Gatter and these other folks that used to be around, you know, that we said there was manipulations in the markets. Well, 
guess what? Over the last 10 years, we saw charges. We've seen people found guilty. We've seen people admitting it and all. And one of the good news in that is it's not anywhere as bad as it used to be. Now, I don't think I'll get in trouble saying this to you, but maybe the people at the COMEX won't like it, but I call it the CRIMEX, and I don't think I'm alone in that. But you just have to watch it, how it trades. <laughs> I used to joke that you can almost tell when it's around 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time because you just have to look at a gold chart. Wherever it was, it's gone lower from that price. And it was up 30. It's now only up 15. And people say, why 11? Well, that's kind of like when London shuts and these guys are like, anyway. What I learned about the paper market is this. When we had an oil shortage, man, you couldn't sell a car. Whatever you had, you had a car that was a guzzler, everybody was a seller. When the real estate market went bad, everybody was selling. But when we had those whack days, you talk to physical people that sell the bullion, they tell you, man, they're lining up to buy it. It don't make sense. It just went down $35. Why are they lining up to buy it? You know, I, I spoke to a couple of deals. Said, yeah, maybe people we saw 5 or 10% sell, but most people just were buyers. That's because the paper market and the physical market do not match up. The paper market is still what we look at. But what's important is that paper manipulation or the influence out of Europe and out of the U.S. is dissipating. And it's moving more and more to the Far East. And there we're seeing premiums and we're seeing much more interest we're even seeing countries like china giving incentives to their people to own gold and so forth but perhaps most important and this talked about and maybe i'm going to bring up a word that opens it always opens a can of worms for me in nasty email so why not with you why not with you? let's go for it cryptocurrency and bitcoins and i always have guys young kids tell me ah mr grants let me tell you why i just had one uh, the other day at lunch ah, all this, blah, blah, blah. i said listen first of all let's let's first admit that about a trillion dollars has been lost in that market in the last couple of years it's gone those those coins and everything are gone people lost it and yeah i may own a juniors down 80 percent, but it's not lost yet second i say to them is who has the money Where's the money in the world today? Central banks, okay. Are central banks buying Bitcoin and all? What are they buying? They're breaking records buying gold. And what's most important, where growth is happening in the Far East and China and the BRIC nations, that's who's really buying it. And let me just tell you this, and I'll say this to I'm blue in the face and I'm singing to the choir, but if I was on Tao TV right now, I'd say the same thing. They'd cut me off, but I'll say it. They're not buying it for a trade and they're not buying it to speculate. They're buying it for something monetarily that's going to be influential and impact them. And that's why they want to own it. And why go against them? I, I'd rather bet on them than against them. And until they're buyers of Bitcoin or whatever may be what's left of the cryptocurrency market, and there will be because it's it will come what it's, it really only is it's just a speculation. It's not a replacement. It's not going to be the new monetary. It doesn't work right. You know, I'll just tell you this. I was with a guy that for lunch today that was high up at BlackRock. He's not there anymore. And I said, you know, your guy that runs BlackRock, he's got some pairs. What do you mean? Fink. I said, first of all, when I was a kid, we told never trust anybody named Fink. But let's go with him for a minute. Five years ago, all over the media, Bitcoin is a scam. Bitcoin is this. Bitcoin is that. 
nothing's changed in the way Bitcoin works. It's still the same thing. Now it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And he said something very interesting. He said, you know why he's saying this? Why? He said, BlackRock is an ETF company. That's what they make their living in. So they see an opportunity to bring an ETF and make money off it. Of course, he's going to like it now. And so I say that and I bring that up is because Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies has taken some of the money that would have naturally come into the metals and the mining shares, but the metals as well, 10 or 20 years ago. And that hasn't and won't because there's now this competitor whether it's a worthy competitor or not. And I think that's something myself did not account for and didn't realize that that would be an impact. I'm not giving it as an excuse. I've still been wrong about this thing, but I think it's something we have to consider. But since the big people with the big money, don't even, they scoff at that. They really do. They really scoff at uh, the cryptocurrency world. I'm going to stick with gold and silver until things change. Yeah, and it makes sense what you're saying, especially with the central banks buying gold, where I don't think it needs to be a matter of whether the BRICs roll out a gold-based currency tomorrow or whether they think gold is going to go to 3000 or skyrocket, as people like to say. Yet, you were talking earlier about the, the yields and how we saw a 10-year bond touch 5%. I think something that's changed is that it's not gold and silver people anymore who are getting concerned about the treasury as a store of value, especially with the supply that that you talked about, that's going to be coming online, not just in the next five or eight years, but in the next year alone. And I, I think that's I think that's one shift we've seen in these this, these past couple of months where people are realizing, well, there there is a problem with the traditional asset we've looked at. And uh, Peter, along the the lines of gold, and uh, again, you touched on the mining shares earlier. Uh, I saw one of your tweets uh, where you mentioned that the sentiment in the mining space reminds you a bit of what we saw back in uranium a couple of years back where you thought that was a tough time. I like, uh, I'll, I'll pull up here. You, you had a good, good way of <laughs> describing what it feels like to be trading these mining shares now. Uh, and you pointed out how we had 1650 gold silver dipping below 18 bucks a year ago and we'll we'll stop him getting kicked in the nuts i think people are feeling that enough already some of these mining shares lower today by a substantial margin than even when we had those significantly lower bullion prices and i know that's something all the people who watch this show are concerned about and wondering whether we've hit a bottom or not obviously i guess nobody knows the exact answer to that but how do you phrase that how do you think about it in terms of when you're looking at these mining stocks each day and where you think we're headed from here so first the good part of me that i'll mention back in 2019 20 in all the years i never was involved in uranium it was always such a small part even when i was a money manager i never looked at when the one time that they went crazy and all I just was never involved I was literally watching the, the internet and uh, watched the young man present and tell why there's going to be this big change in the need for uranium. And I, I said, uranium was under twenty dollars. What? I remember it was 50, 60, 70. And I look it up. And then, of course, I remember because I Canada was once my home away from home. I said, well, what's Camago these days? That was a great uranium. It's $8,000, $8. It used to be like $40, $50. And that's what got me involved in it. 
And by 2020, I just said, oh my, I, I saw what people were saying about this coming electrification. I knew and listened to these experts that windmills and solar and all are never gonna be the, the, the answer to everything. That nuclear energy, which 20 years ago, people scoffed if you went to a senator and said, can you build a nuclear plant? And he'd go, not in my state. Now it's, please, can you build one? Anyway, I got big into it. And, and people saying, but no, and you know, it sucks and it's down, it's, it's dead. It's, you know. And what I just said now today is, that's kind of the mood now that people have given to the mining share, especially the junior resource market. And why I said it's similar is, we had gold at 1650 just a year ago. And the average gold stock is probably down 40, 50% since then. And yet gold is up $300, 20% from that. Okay. Something's not right. So either somehow all these juniors somehow know something that the gold investors don't, and gold's got to go down to 11, 1200 to where these things would be at if it was at at that price. Or there's going to be just a a tremendous rally in these things. Now, let me tell you where I've been wrong. So before everybody who only is just hearing me now going, wow, that guy's smart. Let me listen to him. I would have told you that six months ago or nine months ago, and the prices went lower. The only more confidence I have now than six or nine months ago, we're nearing the end of the year. And a lot of this is now being attributed to because everybody invests in a year to year mentality. The funds have just been hit with just sell redemptions. All the people that I can talk to, some of the bigger funds have told me in the last three weeks, just net, net, nothing but sell orders. And then sell orders beget sell orders. And so quite honestly, this may hurt people's feelings that are like me, but I actually hope that lasts for another month. And the reason why I say that is, is let's get washed out what has to get washed out. Uh, and so it's not around for the inevitable uh, rally that's going to occur and i think it's going to recur extremely sharp it's going to be something that we're just going to wake up to and it's going to take off and it's going to be people hoping it pulls back and it never pulls back in earnest to get people back in uh let's understand this if we're going to buy the bullish argument from wall street now the bullish argument from wall street is there's a great electrification coming the world is still growing technology is still a buy yada 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 and it all needs electricity well, it all needs electricity. We even have trouble providing electricity at current levels, let alone what's going to be needed. Well, we're going to need the metals. Now, the government people have not taken this into account. I talked to a congressman who's a pretty sharp guy. I like him a lot, but he had no concept of where mining was. And I said, listen, he concurs. Uh, he's bought into all the buses governments have now and all the all being converted without any question. Everything is being done. And I said to him, do you know right now, and I showed him just what supply there is in copper, and I showed him what compared to what it's been over the years. And I said, do you realize that a major mining company now is not about to throw a couple of billion dollars into a project that's in a country now where there's, look what's happening in Panama, look what's happening in many other places, social unrest, political unrest, needs to go higher up on mountains and try to get half of 1% copper, you know, just the cost of finding that and developing that. And quite frankly, they look at what you guys did with the oil industry and beat them up 
they're concerned, you know, how are you going to turn on what's they're going to be the safeguard? So they're not about to spend that. And by the way, let me, Chris, if somebody hasn't talked about this, this is important. When the majors do become aggressive again, looking for medals, why should they go to grassroots stuff now, which could cost up to, say, in gold, $100 an ounce to find a deposit that's going to be worthwhile to develop? When there's so many being sit out there and being priced between $10 and $30 an ounce now. So one of the things that's going to happen, definitely, in my opinion, have me back in a year. If I'm still around and I'm wrong, I'll be the first to come on here and say I was wrong. We're going to see a dramatic increase in mergers and acquisitions in metals and mining in 2024. First out of necessity. So some companies are just going to have to do it to survive. But once the majors put their foot down, they're going to do it through acquisition. They're not going to start getting new exploration projects on their own and start to develop them. They're going to look out there. I can name 10 of them where advanced stage, a legitimate initial resource, and it's being priced between $8 and $10 an ounce. You, you, can't, you can't start exploration for that. So as bad as it is right now, and trust me, it's never been worse. I've never been on a side of a bear market, let alone this bad. But I think we're just weeks away at, at maximum before that pain will be over and things will get a whole lot better in 2024. And I said that while my fingers were crossed when you didn't see and my toes. Well, I know the feeling because it's one of those things where when you look at the fundamentals and you, you touch a little bit on the, the whole green movement, which the amounts of a variety of the different metals that are called for, wonder if even in best case conditions, that's actually possible. And certainly we talk a lot about the silver side here, where at the lower price, you're not really incentivizing companies and entrepreneurs to go out there, launch new projects. So. I guess we'll find out when it happens. Uh, that's the unknown part. Hopefully you'll turn out to be correct. And we're not too far off, although certainly they've been beaten up pretty well. And I guess the counter to that is when some when people are feeling a lot of pain in any particular asset class, whether that means we're at the bottom or not, at least suggest that it's a better entry point than perhaps what we've seen over the past year and a half. So... Chris, let me just say one thing, because I, I know how interesting in silver. I used to get a lot of flack from silver investors, even when I was bullish on gold, because I used to think gold was a much better hold than silver. But I changed my tune to that, not because I'm speaking to you. It's, it's been that way for several months now. Because of the industrial change in demand for silver, it may not be the monetary equivalent to gold, but it's certainly because of the improvement in its silver needs should be close to a balance. I would not have a problem now when I used to say, well, I would have 75% in gold and 25% in silver. If somebody came and said to me they were 50-50, I wouldn't have an issue with that now. I think when we do turn here and we get out of this vicious bear market, they'll have similar percentage gains. And quite frankly, once we do break out and we see this tremendous breakout from a cup and handle that both gold and silver have going back 10 years, when that breaks out, Silver would tend to rally because retail would be more involved and retail always likes things lower price that they can have more quantity on than higher price and less. And that's that I think will aid silver then. So I, I, I don't I wouldn't hold back and say, well, I, lo I love gold, but I'm just so so on silver, which used to be a comment that came out of this mouth, but not anymore. I think they deserve equal equal time. 
Well, it's good to hear you say that. And certainly it's interesting, the, the demand figures, especially when we look at the solar numbers that every time there's a new set of projections seems to be blowing away what we thought even just a couple months ago. So will be a, a fun time following both of those metals and the markets going forward. And Peter, I sure appreciate everything that you shared here today. A lot of good ideas to think about and appreciate the decades of experience you have and making some time to impart that to everyone who is watching. And perhaps before we wrap up, could you just let folks know where they can find you if they'd like to find out more about the services you offer or just some of the comments that you share? Sure. Well, there's a, there is a website, petergranish.com, but I spend much of my time on Twitter. I can't call it X, Chris. I think I'm going to call it Twitter to the day I die. Uh, and I also have a YouTube channel, all under Peter Granich, and you can find that on Google or as you just saw. And there's Peter getting ready for another day of trading. Well, I hear you. And uh, some, some, sometimes I think maybe that's what going through some of those uh, kicks to the nuts is what makes us a little stronger. And um, we'll see how things shake out, though. But there's a lot. There's still, fortunately, some time on the clock. And. I think you laid out a good case for what you're looking at. And I certainly agree with a lot of the things that you're saying there and just appreciate you being here. I'll have those links to find Peter in the description field below. And Peter, thanks again for joining me today. And we'll have to catch up and do this again soon, my friend. Thank you, Chris. It was an honor to speak with you. God bless.